The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Is Russia planning on building an army of the dead? And then we travel to old-timey America to take a look at the story of a young man who gains the ability to fly. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? It turns out it would actually suck. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. We got so much stuff to cover. I just woke up from a nap. That's what you guys want, a podcast produced by a slightly sleepy man. It was a night nap. It's 8.30 p.m. I like to take late naps. First off, we got to give a shout out to our Fan Art Friday submission. Look at this drawing from Drop Shot. It's the picture of a rabbit. He looks slightly terrified. He looks like he's wondering why he's in the black void, but he has some nice books in front of him, so he'll be okay. Drop Shot, thank you so much for sending this over. Really appreciate it. Then, we got to give a shout out to our newest Patreon supporter, writing into Dead Rabbit Command on the back of 10,000 stallions. That should be the name of a band, dude. That's dope. <laughs> We hear the stallions coming in. It's Invalid ID. They're on the back of every stallion at the same time. It's Quantum Patreon supporters. Invalid ID, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, or if you only exist in one place at one time, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. Invalid ID, I'm not going to toss you the keys to any vehicles just yet. I want to talk about this. It's Friday. Going to be a kind of a laid-back episode. Got some good stories for you. We're coming up to the end of the 90 Days to a Better You. I want you guys to really focus on that. And I wanted to give a shout out to one of our listeners, Yuri. And just to show a good example of this, Yuri, when we did the first 90 Days to a Better You, they decided to repick up their hobby of doing 3D modeling. And they actually sent me uh, some car model parts they were working on. And now they're doing the second 90 Days Challenge. They're trying to get a job in the 3D modeling industry. So far, Yuri sent out 30 applications trying to find their dream job. That's what the 90-day challenge can do for you. And this isn't, I'm. This, you don't have to buy a book. You don't have to subscribe to anything. This is me hoping to encourage you to be better. And to tell you what, guys, if you guys miss this 90-day deadline, it's okay. Just make the next 90 days, the best 90 days, the best steps forward for the rest of your life. Invalid ID, hop on off all of those stallions. I'm going to toss you the keys to the hair hang glider. It doesn't need keys, but, but it's just a, it's just a souvenir. Go ahead and grab onto the hair hang glider. We're going to hang onto your ankles and run. Jump off that cliff. We are leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed out to Siberia. As we're going back, hit that little button there. Hope you can reach it. Hope you can reach it. Poorly designed hang glider. We're going back in time as well. We're going back to the fifth century BC. You thought we were doing that whole AD thing? Nope. BC. We're going to the Valley of the Kings. That's in Tuva, in Siberia. Back in fifth century BC, there was a man 
sitting there writing a book. He's writing out his name, and he goes, my name is Hero. And everyone's like, oh, dude, this guy must be super awesome. His first name is Hero. Dotus. And they're like, oh, man. <laughs> That's a callback joke. Hero Dotus, the great Greek historian, is writing about the Scythians. <laughs> he puts a question mark because I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right either. The Scythians were a race or like a subculture from Iran. They were nomads who took their horses, took their swords, and traveled around the continent. I don't know exactly what that was there because I don't know if they were like ruthless bandits. I don't know if they were like helping old ladies, helping old ladies out of like uh, ditches and stuff like that. That was a real big problem back in 5th century BC. A lot of ditches, a lot of old ladies. I don't really know how the culture was, but I do know that they were very famed in combat. Actually, I do know how their culture was. They wore, I don't know why I blinked on this detail. There's an old lady in a trench and she's like, not again. And a Scythian warrior rides up. And she's like, oh, young fella, you'll help me out. I don't know. I can't say how their politics were. I can't say who they'd vote for. But the Scythians were known to drink out of human skulls. That should kind of tell, that should kind of tell you what their D&D alignment would be. they drink out of human skulls. This part, Herodotus, he has stated that supposedly, this sounds a little, like, made up to me. This sounds like another tribe trying to give them a bad name. They drink out of human skulls, and they have capes made out of human scalps. Come on. That's impossible. You know how many people you'd have to scalp to do? I've tried it. I've tried it. It takes more than seven. You know how many people you'd have to scalp to make maybe, like, a baby cape? Maybe like a cape for your son. And then they'd grow out of it and you'd be like, oh, you can pass it along to your little brother. Think about how much skin you have on your scalp. And then imagine peeling, just imagine, don't actually do this. Imagine peeling it off. And then how many U heads would it take to make like a cape? <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know if they necessarily had like Phantom of the Opera cloaks. They were like all satiny smooth. They're only killing people with the smoothest skin. But still, a cape, like a five-foot, six-foot-long cape, made of human, seriously made of human scalps, that sounds a little ridiculous to me. But the Scythians, they drank out of human skulls. They might have made capes made out of human scalps. Plus, it's so cold. Like, what if you haven't scalped enough people that winter? You're like, oh, I'm so cold. Can I just get, you know, some cloth? And they're like, no, we have a reputation to uphold. I can't just, like, take some, like, camel hair and pretend it's a human. No, as you're freezing to death. Anyways, the Scythians roamed the area. Herodotus wrote all... Herodotus, some say, but speaking of fake news, Herodotus is writing of these guys' adventures. The year now is 2017, and we're still in the Valley of the Kings in Tuva, Siberia. And they've found the burial site of these ancient warriors. So they actually knew where the burial site was. It was called Valley of the Kings. They're not like, I wonder what's buried there. But in 2017, Russia's defense minister, Sergei Shoigu had an idea, an archaeological idea. He goes, let's get a bunch of resources, let's get a bunch of egghead scientists to come on out here, let's excavate the Valley of the Kings, let's find some bones, ladies and gentlemen. Weird, right? I'm not saying that if you're the Minister of Defense, all you can ever think about is defense. I mean, they're allowed to have hobbies too. But it's weird to spearhead this expedition with all these bones. You're, you are the Minister of Defense after all. But anyways, he does it. 
I don't, I'm not saying he stood there on the dick side like Indiana Jones, but it was a personal project of his. Fast forward now to April 14th, 2021. Sergei's holding this meeting with the Russian Geographical Society. Vladimir Putin is there as well. Sergei and Putin are buddies, which I think would make sense if you were the defense minister. You wouldn't want to have a defense minister who didn't like you. Sergei is giving this speech to the Russian Geographical Society, and he announces their true intentions. This is 100% true. They're announcing their true intentions with this burial site. When I said 100% true, I went back and looked at my sources. They're the, they're the Daily Mail, Mysterious Universe, and the Siberian Times. But even if the first two can be a little iffy. Siberian Times, that sounds legit. Sergey gives a speech, and he says, what we're looking at doing, ladies and gentlemen, we're not just digging up any old bones. Those are everywhere. My dog can do that. He gets on his notes, wait for laughter, and everyone's just super quiet. He's like, okay, that joke bombed. But we're not just looking for any bones. We're looking for, quote, organic material. When talking about organic material, he says, quote, I believe you understand what would follow that. Unquote. Everyone is kind of looking at each other. They're like, not really. What does that mean? And then he goes on to specify something that they could do something maybe like Dolly the Sheep. So he's talking about cloning. He wants to make clones of these ancient nomads. This is... So this flabbergasts me. Because we have the world of science. And then we have the world of the paranormal. And very rarely do they meet unless the world of the paranormal like invites scientists being like, Hey, can you prove these ghosts exist? <laughs> As the scientists are all possessed, floating in the room. They're like, no, ghosts are fake. And they're like, oh, dang it. Not again. But... Usually that's how it works. Scientists usually don't show up. <laughs> Scientists probably don't usually call up the mystery machine and be like, oh, we think we think our lab's haunted. These archaeologists, these trained scientists, invited a shaman down to the burial site before they even got started excavating these bones to bless the area. They were so terrified that these spirits would curse them, would kill them. Ghosts can watch Indiana Jones too, right? Ghosts can know what happens at our cursed archaeological sites as well. Then they brought a shaman out. I found that so odd. I've seen reports of like police working with magic users around the world or priests and things like that. But I've never seen scientists go, you know, before we get started with all of this rational cause and effect scientific method stuff, let's bring in a shaman. Let's bring in a shaman to make sure none of our faces melt. This is going on, apparently. According to the Daily Mail, the Russian defense minister is talking about cloning these soldiers. And that's what they would be, right? You don't clone them, you don't clone them and then give them a job and then see how they work at a Froyo shop. You would take the bone marrow from these ancient warriors and try to replicate them. It's interesting, though, because you imagine the strong... I, I, this could be a bit of a rant, and I could be totally wrong, but I would imagine the strongest man in the 5th century is like the average high school football player today. Just through nutrition, just through environmental factors, I would say so, like if you took someone from the 5th century, B.C., and put him in a foot race with a high school athlete, and Herodotus, Herodotus has a little starter pistol, psh, I think the high school athlete would smosh him. And I'm talking about uh, not the equivalent of just some schmo from the 5th century. How did I get here? 
a highly trained warrior. Now, I'm talking about a foot race. <laughs> if it's some sort of brutal battle to the finish, that high school scalp is going to become part of a cape. But now we're talking if you took a cloned dude from the 5th century and put him up against Spetnats or Green Berets or something like that, or the Coast Guard, I don't think it would match up. So is this going to come... And I, are real? Are these really the best warriors humanity has to offer? You think you could probably just dig up someone more recent, right? You wouldn't have to go here. Why don't you just... If you can clone people, why don't you just get a current dude? Like a guy who just died a couple weeks ago. Sorry, I mean, this is getting great. But there's war heroes born every day. I'd get him and clone a bunch of him. I guess the problem, I guess the thing is, is the family would know, right? If a family unfortunately lost one of their loved ones in a battle, they died bravely. And then, then the next day, you're watching television, and there's like a hundred of them running down the street. You'll be like, um, Mr. Putin, I have a little question. I have a little question about my son's remains. I've noticed there's scores of him now standing guard outside your palace. There we go. So that might be that might be going on. We may soon be facing down a fleet of warriors that used to be from the 5th century BC. But I think we could take them. I'm not too worried about it. Invalid ID. I'm going to toss you the keys of the carpenter copter. We are leaving behind Siberia. We are headed out to Dexter, Missouri. This is one of those stories that I came across during my vacation and couldn't wait to tell you it. Thought it was so fun, fascinating, and full of frights. I was going to say terrifying, but I wanted to stay I wanted to stay with my F theme. It's really kind of a terrifying story. Invalid AD, let's land that carbon copter. It's June 1884. We're in Dexter, Missouri, so everyone put on your Missouri clothes. So everyone put on your Missouri clothes, straw hat, straw in the mouth, straw pants is a very itchy time back then. Everything was pure straw. We're walking towards the farm of the Beck family. You had Reynard Beck, 27-year-old man, his brother Samuel, and their poor unnamed mother. She was unnamed from birth. Sad story. The mother, Reynard and Samuel, are all living on the Beck farm. It's a hard life. It's been a hard few seasons. They're barely growing enough stuff you can grow, enough farm stuff you can grow in Missouri to make ends meet. Reynard Beck spends long days working the fields, and then he comes home and goes to sleep. It is a back-breaking existence. But one morning he wakes up. Ooh. Time to get to work. Time for my entire body to ache with the unending labor of man. Wait, huh? And he realizes that his painful knees, the throbbing redness that normally greets him when he wakes up, it's all, hello, Reynard. Here comes comes horrible pain. And we don't know how to pronounce your name. His knees normally hurt. And the first thing when he wakes up, he notices his knees don't hurt. What? Then he's like, okay, well, that's weird. But surely, surely my back will still be sore. Oh, good old back. You're always tense and uncomfortable. Then he realizes his back is fully relaxed. What? What is this sensation? It feels like I feels like I've been able to relax for more than 4 hours. Every joint in his body is pain-free. He feels so good. He has a zip in his step. He's ready to get to, He's like all this pain's gone. Time to do even more work today. He jumps out of his bed. 
ready to ruin whatever his body has healed. And that is when he discovers his feet aren't touching the ground. Huh? What? He looks down and he can see that he's hovering off the floor of his bedroom. He gets panicked, obviously, by this. And he jumps back onto the bed. And he's sitting there for a second. He's like, what in the world? Maybe it was just a hallucination. Maybe this pain-free existence is tricking me. He slowly steps back onto the floor. And sure enough, he's floating above the ground. This is an interesting story because I want you to kind of put yourselves in the shoes, in the floating shoes of Reynard. What would you do if you woke up like this? There'd be a moment of elation, but then I think it would be filled with terror because of the implications, obviously. You have this implication that you are no longer bound to one of the three laws of the universe, gravity. But it'd also be kind of fun. Whee! You're floating around, but it'd still be terrifying. But Ray, we're calling him Ray for short because I'm having a hard time with the other name. He has that fear like we would, but he also has another issue. This is 1884, Missouri, and his family and the whole community is Bible-thumping Christian town. Anything that seems slightly out of whack is considered the work of the devil. So he's concerned about that. He, he, all of these things are going through his head. He wants to call out for help, but he's afraid that they may just go, we'll help you, we'll help you into the arms of Jesus Christ. He's like, no, no, that's not what I meant. He's afraid that whatever's going on will be considered the devil's work, and he'll be killed for it. He's also afraid that he's afraid of that possibility in the future. He's also afraid right now he might just float away. And that's when he hears his mom from downstairs. Reynard, come on down. It's breakfast time. He's just floating there and he's like, great. I hope I, hope I get my share of the waffles. I know my brother Samuel loves to eat all the waffles. And he's floating there. And then he realizes something. He had some old fishing weights, like some old lead weights in some of his pants across the room. So he's kind of like now swimming through the air to these pants and he grabs them. He pulls the lead weights out, attaches them to his own pants, and then doop, sinks to the ground. Reynard is a 166 pound human. And I don't think, I don't think he had a lot of weights on him, but he just had a few and just enough of these little lead weights held him to the ground. He walks downstairs uneasily because he's still a little floaty. But at least now his feet are touching the ground. He walks downstairs, says nothing to his family, just enjoys his waffles, and tries to think what's going to come next. He has to do work. He can't not work right at his farm. That would be even more suspicious if he took the day off. This guy with these little lead weights on his pants walks outside of his house into the bright, burning Missouri sunshine. And has to go about hoeing the ground and picking potatoes and watering the the goat. Whatever you do on a farm. The whole time knowing that if he bends over too far and a couple lead weights fall out of his pants. He's just going to float away. But he has to work a full day. <laughs> like Supper time is the best sound he ever heard when that stereotypical little bell was being rang. Ding, ling, ling, ling. Because that means he can actually go inside and no longer be afraid he's going to be the first man to leave the planet. This goes on for a couple days. 
and he still hasn't told anyone. And when he has time to himself, he practices moving without the lead weights. He'd go into his room and he'd take the lead weights out of his pocket and he'd fly around his room. Until one day, his nosy brother Samuel barges in. <laughs> I don't know why. You never barge in on another person in their room, especially when, <laughs> especially when you hear them going, Wee! Wee! This is so much fun. I'm having more fun than I've ever had, and I'm all by myself. Yippee! Don't ever walk in. Don't ever walk in. Samuel walks in and sees his brother, who's now had a couple days practice with this skill, flying around the room. He's like jumping from wall to wall, having a ball. His brother immediately thinks that Ray is pulling a prank, which, which is the most elaborate. I mean, I'm a bit of a prankster. I've never levitated. I've never even thought to get like ropes and pulleys and make myself fly around a room. First, Samuel thinks it's a prank. And then, of course, Samuel thinks the devil is involved. And Ray knew this was do or die. Literal do or die. He had to convince Samuel that this was not the devil's work. I don't know what happened. I woke up the other day. I've started flying around. I, just, I, I can't even explain it. It's super weird. I kept it from you guys because I was afraid you guys would try to hang me. Although I started to think, how do you hang a man? <laughs> how do you hang a man who can float? And Samuel's just standing there, arms crossed, listening to his brother basically plead for his life. After this monologue, after this Academy Award winning monologue about how the devil is not involved, Samuel goes, listen, I get it. I, I believe you. It's not a prank. Devil's not involved. I believe you. But do you know what this means? Ray's kind of sitting there, kind of flown above the bed. He's showing off now. He's just flown above the bed. Samuel goes, this means that we're going to be rich. We are going to make so much money. Samuel and Ray come up with this plan to become a freak show. A one-man freak show. Samuel would be the guy outside. Step on up. Meet the incredible levitating man. He's going to fly around your head. You're going to think it's wires, but it's not. It's not the devil either. Don't murder my brother. But watch him spin around in the room. And they start off by going to local lodges, local halls. Meet the incredible levitating man, Ray's, flying around the room. And people would come out and they'd be like, whoa, what an amazing thing. Now, some of them thought... It's just wires, it's just ropes, but you're still getting a good money's worth. That nickel, that nickel you paid to get in is worth watching a man on wires float around. But part of the trick was, if you don't believe it, step right up. We got a broom. We got a broom. You can rent it for a dime. Give me an extra dime. They'd use brooms. They'd use sticks to try to hit away where any wires or ropes would be. And there aren't any. He's still just floating around. The act began to involve. Eventually, he's just not floating around. He began reading the newspaper, reading the newspaper while he's floating. Isn't that amazing, folks? And people look at each other they're like, um, I guess. I mean, it's more amazing than he's just floating. It doesn't matter what he's doing, but his act began to involve him reading the newspaper while he was floating, drinking tea while he was floating. Again, who cares? He's floating. Who gets bored of that? He's like, oh, Martha, I don't want to see the man who's defying the laws of time and space again. Lame. They start, they eventually get this big tent. It's this huge event. People are now, originally they were touring. Now people are coming to see Ray fly around this tent. Scientists would come out. Skeptics would come out. They tried to disprove it. They couldn't. At one point, some skeptics were so violent. While he was flying around, they began to destroy the tent. Because they figured if they destroy the tent, then all the ropes and pulleys will break. But they weren't able to. They didn't destroy the whole tent. Luckily, luckily for Ray, he's like, no, my act's over. See you guys later. No refunds. As he's floating up into the sky. But they destroyed enough of the tent to basically prove that this guy is actually floating around. 
a huge act, a huge draw. But one day, the tent sat empty. Flap opening in the breeze. Just a cricket. A cricket who finally got a nickel. Finally, somehow, it got a nickel standing outside. There's no one in there. The next day, the tent is still empty. Days go by. The tent remains unused. People knew this guy locally. They knew he lived on the Beck farm. People would show up at their house and be like, hey, Ray, what's up? You? <laughs> He's heard that joke a thousand times. He's like, ah, not this one again. People are stopping by. They're like, hey, how come you're not doing that whole floating around thing? I was really hoping on seeing it this weekend. And Ray was like, I quit. I'm not doing the floating thing anymore. People are like, well, how, do you not, how do you not do the superpower anymore? He's like, I'm not going to do it. People kept coming to his house and asking, when are you doing your act again? He wouldn't do it. He was doing this for a total of six years. It wasn't like this was like a, a month-long thing. For six years, you could re- you could count on every weekend seeing a man read a newspaper. He's reading it to you. You're an illiterate farmer. You're like, oh, I wonder what happened in the news this week. Only the flying man can deliver my news. This went on for six years. Then all of a sudden, nothing. The whole thing ended. And when people would ask him, hey, you know, what's going on? Journalists stopped by. Locals stopped by. They'd ask what, what's going on. He'd always say this quote. Once a person is in the air, he can never be the same person as before. Eventually, he stopped even answering the door. Some say that he lost his powers one day and was ashamed of it. Some say it was all a hoax to begin with and someone came too close to figuring it out. Those would be reasons of why he quit. But as to why he stopped answering the door, there's another tale in the area. One day, a young man was walking across the Beck farm to interview Ray. That's become the new pastime. Pay a nickel, you can interview Ray. As he's moving across the Beck farm, he sees a belt of weighted fishing lures laying in the dust. And the young man just looked up into the sky, hoping to catch one final glimpse of Reynard Beck. Fascinating story. I love this story. I found it during my vacation, and I couldn't wait to share it with you guys. You'll find this story in several places online, like I just described to you. But Alexa Vukovic of ancientorigins.net Dug a little deeper, was asking the same question: Is this story true? The earliest, so this story took place in 1884, but the earliest printed version that Alexa could find was August 31st, 1972. There was a letter written to a newspaper in Kansas called the Belleville Telescope. This is a newspaper in Belleville, Kansas, and it was written by a man named Dr. R. N. Van Cor. And the, the letter is written from the point of view of a physicist um, studying gravity. And, and in, this, in this letter to the editor, in this letter to the newspaper, talking about gravity? Like, it's kind of a weird thing to write into. And one day the newspaper goes, you know the gravity of the situation. And this physicist writes out a letter. Speaking of gravity, in this letter, it tells a story. That one, that original letter in August 31st, 1972, does have a conclusive ending. It says, 
he eventually lost his powers and went around living a normal life. The original printed version that we can find has that. Now, in the story proper, you notice I kept saying journalists kept showing up. There are references to news reports of this. None have ever been found. None have ever been found. There were supposedly contemporary news reports of all this, but we there's I, I couldn't find them, and neither could Alexa. The earliest version is August 31st, 1972. This story became very popular in 1978 because issue 79 of Ripley's Believe It or Not comic books did a story on this. So there's a lot of illustrations of little man drinking tea floating around. That's when the story really took off. But the earliest version we can find is 1972. Is the story true? Based on almost a hundred year gap between the story happening and a written version of it, Most likely not. We've covered stories like that in the past on the show. The hotel room in Paris where the mom showed up and then disappeared. You had these massive time gaps. That's a really interesting one. I'll put that in the show notes. There's a little more to that mystery. But we'll see stories where there are these massive time gaps between when the story was originally told, when it was supposed to happen, and then when it was published. If If there really was a flying man, there would at least be a scrap of a newspaper article from 1884. It's possible. We, I, I shouldn't say there would have to be because time can, you know, newspapers can shut down and especially back then archives could get destroyed and things like that. But most likely the story isn't true. The real ringer for me was the fact that he could levitate unless he had a couple lead balls in his pockets. Like even with his clothes on, that wasn't enough. He had to have the lead weights on him to hold him down. But I mean, again, I've never floated. I don't know what it takes. Whether or not it's true is almost secondary. It's such a fascinating story. And the reason why I love this story is because everyone wants to fly. And this story turns it into something terrifying. I think in the old-timey Herodotus times, they'd look up and see birds fly and go, Oh, I want to be like that. Maybe if I flap my wings and wore some feathers, I'd look fabulous. And I would also be able to soar through the air. But, you know, with in modern times, we watch stuff like Superman... Who can just fly around. I think he's the prototypical flight superhero. There's Submariner and Iron Man has rockets. That doesn't really count. But as far as just being able to like stand up and float around Superman is really what we think of. And there is something alluring about flying around. But it's controlled flight. You have to have that first word in there. That's not what Ray really had. That's what's scary about it. He woke up and he was floating. Now, luckily, he was in his room. But was there a time, like, do you have to wake up to gain this power? Or could it just strike any time? Could you be walking down the street tomorrow and then a sensation comes over your body? You feel free. You feel free of pain. You feel free of stiffness. You feel healthy and vibrant. You feel light. And you look down. And you see you're already five, ten feet off of the ground. Nothing could save you. Nothing could stop you at that point. As you watch the earth recede beneath your feet. You're floating up. Slowly. You can see the looks of the people who were previously standing next to you. Their jaws dropped. They can't believe what they're seeing. 50 feet, 100 feet, 1,000 feet. You're watching the world grow small beneath you. 
At least if you're falling from a building or an airplane, it's fast and there's an end to it. But you just keep floating up. The atmosphere gets colder. The air grows thinner. You can't breathe. But you continue to float. As your body leaves Earth and enters the cold vacuum of space, you were chosen by the universe for a unique experience. Your body will never decay. It will simply move through the darkness of the universe, frozen and alone. You will do nothing until the end of time but float. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys, and have a great weekend. <laughs>